Hi everyone. Um, as Harrison said, we're reading from Jonah chapter 3. So I'll just give you a moment to open up your Bibles or find it on your phone or device. Jonah chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles... No person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish." God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. It is great to be with you here today. Uh, My name is Isaac. Uh, It's such a privilege to come to talk with you about the scriptures uh, together. I'm really looking forward uh, to that this morning. Uh, Do forgive me, me, there are no slides this morning. Still trying to figure out the whole system. It's all very new to me. Um, I do thank you for your grace. I'm sure next time I will have lots of exciting pictures, lots of funny memes, I promise. Um, But hopefully you'll give me a second chance. And I wonder, when was the last time you gave someone a second chance? Good segue, right? (laughs) When was the last time you gave somebody a second chance? Maybe it was on the drive over here to church. Uh, You saw somebody, they tried to merge and they just were struggling and you let them merge again and you waved them in, gave them a second chance. Maybe it's someone in your family, you know that you shouldn't lend something to them. They just return it broken and you thought, actually, nah, I'll be kind. Here you go. Here's your second chance. Well, as we consider God's word here, we're going to see how good it is that God gives second chances, third, fourth, fifth chances. It's not one and done with him. And today we pick it up after Jonah, after he's been saved. You might remember he's been thrown up onto this beach somewhere in the Mediterranean. And it's like he's kind of getting all the slime off him and the stench that I'm sure he's covered in. And Jonah, he finally obeys God. He finally goes to Nineveh as he was told to do in the start. It seems that he's learnt his lesson. And we wait to see what exactly happens to him in this city of Nineveh. So our first point for today, the task and the response. 
So Jonah's task and the response that the Ninevites give. See, Jonah, he was given this mission from God. And it's pretty difficult in some ways. I mean, it involved so much walking, three days of walking. Uh, it's something that I've sort of picked up since I've moved to Tungabi. People like to walk around here. <laughs> Have you noticed? It's pretty much hard to socially distance out the front of my house. There's just so many people walking past every afternoon. It's really struck me. So maybe you think walking, that's fine, that's easy. But he had to walk three days' journey. He gets one day in, but he has this simple task. Go, speak these words. We hear, what, five or so words that he spoke. He might have said a lot more. He might have had a dialogue with them. Maybe he chatted with them about the experience he just had, that God is fearsome and that you should uh, fear his punishment, that he will punish. And we don't really know what he said. But he fulfills his task. He goes where God commanded him. And from what we can see in the whole book, Jonah, this prophet, was all too aware that the Ninevites were deserving of God's punishment. See, the Ninevites, they were known as this barbaric group they were known as people who did atrocious things in war. And Jonah seems to expect that God will punish them, destroy them. And you can see why Jonah thinks this. I mean, look in the passage with me there. Chapter 3, verse 4. This is the message he's to say. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. See, once Jonah arrives to this city, he finally obeys God. He might be reluctant. He might be unenthusiastic. We're not really sure how he reacts. But either way, he fulfills this task. God told him where to, do, to go, to preach, and that he would work. And it's a simple task for Jonah. And it is a simple task for us as well. And we're to go where God commands to preach, and God will work. He promises us. And Jonah has shown us that it's good to follow God's instruction here. See, God, for you, he might place a nation or a people, somebody on your heart to go and to speak to. I'm sure you've heard about this all the time. I felt convicted and glad to come here to Tungabi. I hope Anaka, the Hearns, have felt the same thing. God works and convicts and brings about a desire in our hearts to go somewhere. But we don't need to wait for God to command where we need to go, where to preach, for a certain city or a certain person. See, I didn't wait for God to tell me, go to Tungabi. I would have still been waiting if I was waiting for a message like that. But So what's our command? What command do we have? Well, Jesus, our Lord, tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus clearly gives the task for all Christians. At the end of chapter 28, the Great Commission, he tells them, go to all nations, to all tribes, that they might believe and follow him. And that's our command, to go to our neighbour, to go to anyone who we come in contact with during the week. So just like Jonah, we can flee from that. We can come up with all kinds of excuses. I'm sure we do that all the time. We can... Sorry... Maybe you're just telling yourself, look, it's not the right situation. This is the time just to love my friend, to show how easygoing Christians can be. Um, I won't speak now. We can convince ourselves that now is not the time to speak. And maybe we're simply afraid that we won't know the answers or that we'll look 
um, pretty thick as we do it. But God's word tells us that the only way that someone will be found uh, uh, saved by him is if they hear the message of salvation. See, the task God gladly gives to us is to go to all people. And we have a far better message than Jonah had. Jonah thought he was going with woe and destruction. He was convinced that they would perish. But that's not our mindset as Christians. It's not how we should approach sharing the gospel with others. Thinking, ah, they're never going to believe. They're just, they're too far gone. They would never trust. See, that's a defeatist approach. And that idea just boxes God in. See, this same God, he can turn a whole city if he pleases. God, he can turn hearts and he can tell the waves and the winds to stop. See, this God is building his kingdom and nothing will stop that. So we have every right to be optimistic that God will grow his people as we speak. Look at the Ninevites. That's what this story is trying to show us. This barbaric nation far from God, even this nation God can save if he wills. Well, our response. Now look with me in the passage at the response of the Ninevites. You see this in verse 10. It says that they turn from their evil ways. And the city, it miraculously repents. This incredible work of God. The king, he even strips himself. He gets down into um, the dust in like a potato sack or something. He's humbled before God. And he calls the whole nation to be humbled before God. Imagine the Queen of England sitting down in the dust, putting on a potato sack, repenting before God. This is what we're told is happening. See, the response from this city, it's clear. They believe God. The king, he even gives this strange command. He says to the animals and um, all the animals in the land that they can't eat or they can't drink. Can you imagine upholding that command? <laughs> imagine being on the watch that's just in the paddock one time, just trying to stop the cow from eating the grass. It'd be difficult. It's a bit of a strange command, right? It's pretty odd to us, but in the Persian world, this custom, uh, they often brought animals in into their grieving ceremonies. So for them, that, that meant that, okay, Nineveh, they were properly repenting. Even the animals, they've brought them into this, this grief and this mourning that they're going through. They're truly repenting. And notice in verse 5 how it doesn't say that they believed Jonah. See, the major point is that they trusted God. And they trusted his message that Jonah spoke. See, the response, it's miraculous. And we can see that the response to God, well, it's actually up to God. It's up to whoever he wills to trust in him. So it's right for us now to pray earnestly that people would respond just like the Ninevites did. And as I've been preparing this passage, it really struck me how um, huge this repentance was in this city. See, this mass conversion of a people, it, it doesn't really happen all the time in Scripture, in the Old Testament. See, these events, uh, they're not impossible for God. I mean, who could limit God from doing this? Yet they do strike us as improbable as we read. Um, it seems that the author, he's, they're trying to arrest our attention, to draw us to this message that this improbable event 
can happen if God so wills it. See, their mourning, it's so intense. It's almost as if they're at the feet of God himself. And it's as if the writer is asking, when was the last time you repented like this? When was the last time you repented like this? That's where I'm going to leave us on that point. Our second point for today, we have a God of second chances and he desires to relent. See, this prophetic narrative, it's different to most in the Old Testament. You know how it probably goes in the Old Testament, right? There's a promise from God and this story unfolds how God fulfills that promise. But here we've seen this divine prophecy of destruction to Nineveh. And the whole story is about how God does not follow through with that. God does not demolish them as he promised, but he spares them. And we see how God loves to give second chances. In the first verse of our chapter for today, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And this same phrase, it began the book itself. In chapter 1, we're told the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but then the next word that comes is, but. He goes off. He flees. So this is his second chance. Chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. What do we see? So. He complies with God. He goes to Nineveh. See, Jonah, he'd already stuffed it up once before, and he's probably the most reluctant, the most rebellious prophet. But God, he loves to give second chances, third, fourth, fifth chances. And the story in this chapter of um, the book, well, it's similar to chapter one. It's, it's like it's happening all over again. Remember in chapter one, the sailors, they pray and God delivers them. Well, here, the Ninevites, they pray and God delivers them. See, many times in God's word, we read how people are given a second chance. How God was going to punish a people. He had a right to punish them, but he does not wipe them out. See, God, he relents from destroying the Israelites. In Exodus chapter 32, we see the leader of God's people, Moses. He prays, he asks for God's mercy, and God holds back. See, the people, they had gone up, they had make a, made a golden calf, this idol. They'd bowed down and worshipped it. And yet, God is gracious even to them. And as we notice this, pass- this pattern in Scripture, we start to see how God longs for people to return to him. See, in Ezekiel chapter 18, it says that God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. He is no saddest. See, God loves to give second chances. See, our God doesn't just give up and send out an invite and just leave it there. Our God went to the cross for us. He wasn't partial in his love. See, God's heart, well, it's heavy in the rebellion of those who he's made. He keeps inviting, keeps pursuing, he keeps opening the door I mean, Jesus in Revelation says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So you might be tired from this life, from these lockdowns, from a difficult time that you're going through. Come to Christ. He gives rest for eternity, not just from this life, but rest with him for eternity.
And God does not give up on us that easily. I mean, all you need to do, you read through Scripture, read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and see how God does not give up. See how Jesus cries in the Garden of Gethsemane, how much he is willing to love and to pursue us. See, God is willing to give us a second chance. So if you've stuffed it up, if your sin feels heavy on you, or you just feel like, nah, God won't let me come back to him. It's, I'm too far gone. Or maybe you're considering, look, I've followed Jesus for, for years, but I just think it's easier to go my own way, to choose how I'll live, and you're a bit tired of it. Please don't do that. I warn you uh, to not uh, turn away from Christ. And know that God desires your good and your salvation. And he has so much grace to give you. See, no matter how much you think you're outside of the bounds of God's mercy, uh, the cross shows us that God has already poured out his wrath. It's done. And there is mercy at the cross. See, this book, it has an incredible way of levelling the playing field. And this book, it's meant to mess with us. It makes us confess that we're no more deserving of God's salvation than anyone else. We're no more worthy to call ourselves Christian than anyone else. Uh, We're not that awesome, in the words of Annika. See, the book is meant to leave us in awe of what grace really looks like. It challenges us that if we want to follow God, we'll need to follow him in the way that he shows grace to Show it that easily and give those second chances. And we ought to heed a warning from Jonah as he seems to have repented. And yet you might be familiar with this book and you might know where it ends up in chapter 4. Wouldn't it be good to finish here? See, the fact that God gives many chances doesn't mean that we can just become complacent or that we can just take advantage of his grace. God remains fearsome. And we ought not be complacent, but gladly receive his mercy before it's too late. And I hope you're glad that God has given you a second chance. But it still requires us to make a wise choice and to follow him. See, people are given second chances all the time. During the week, I read of this story of this man who was given a second chance. A homeless man. Um, There was this director who wanted to make a film, a documentary, and he wanted to see what would happen if you gave a homeless person a large sum of money. He gave him $100,000, no strings attached, a second chance. And they followed him to see what kind of life he lived. How did it affect him? And the sad story was that, unfortunately, he squandered his wealth. Within six months, it was all gone. He had all these friends hear about it, come and ask him for money, and he was kind and gracious and gave them money. So unfortunately, he was given this amazing second chance in life, but he did not make a wise choice. See, this story reminds us that poverty is devastating. But in a similar way, being poor in wisdom brings all kinds of destruction too. We've been given this second chance, but we need to make a wise decision with it. See, when God gives us a second chance, may we follow him. I hope and trust that many of us here today will gladly receive the mercy that God offers. 
And may this grace that God shows us, may that be the habit of our lives as well. So we often struggle to give people a second chance. You know, our, our fuse is pretty short, really, when we think about it. Often it shows with the people that we live with or those that we are closest to. Maybe it's someone who always forgets to clean up after themselves. They're the person that leaves the dishes in the sink. Or maybe it's the kids who leave the toys all strewn all over the place. It's hard to give them a second chance in that moment. Or maybe it's someone who seems to get those destructive patterns of thinking just over and over again. You just see it come up, uh, maybe the anxiety, and maybe the selfishness or the anger. It's hard to give a second chance there. There's a real cost involved for us. But my prayer is that our mentality would be like God, who gladly gives second chances, who is quick to show grace. Now, on to our last point for today. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And this phrase, I think it's incredible. I think it really sums up the book as a whole. It really helps you understand what's happening in Jonah. It's found in chapter 2 there. The last thing that Jonah says while he's in that belly of the fish, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And it prepares us for chapter 3, what happens there. See, Jonah, he happily proclaims this when he wants God's grace, when he wants God's mercy. And this phrase, it declares that God is powerful, that God alone is able to save. There's no other gods. There's no other man who could save. This phrase, it answers the question, how can such a transformation happen in Nineveh? How can they turn so hugely? Well, God, he is in control of salvation. It's not our job to cause people to repent. We can't change hearts. This is an encouraging message for us. And I think the main point of this book, see, God is in control. He's sovereign and he predestines those he will save. What a good thing this is. We're not the boss. And in the first chapter, God, he relented and he saved those sailors. It was up to God. See, they prayed, they called out to God, but they were desperate. Those prayers didn't earn them salvation. It was up to God to save them. And this idea of being of God being in control of salvation, well, it can't be overstated. It's part of a song that's recorded in the book of Revelation. You might be familiar with it. In chapter 7, we hear this phrase come up again. It is this heavenly throne room before God. What do the people of God say to him? Well, it says, sorry, they say, multitude uh, that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They stand before the throne and they sing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to, to the Lord, uh, to the Lamb, sorry. See, when something belongs to you, you can decide what you do with it. You can't give away something that doesn't actually belong to you. It's kind of a fun fundamental idea in life, right? It's like a kid who tries to organize their parents' party. Imagine if you had your 20th anniversary coming up, you had this big list of people you'd love to invite, uh, and your child, somehow, they're very good at admin, uh, this child comes in and they come up with a whole list of kids that they want at the party. They take over, they decide that it's going to be Power Ranger theme, they change it up completely, and somehow they 
kind of do a swifty and you don't hear about it. And the night comes and suddenly the party's ruined. See, it wouldn't make sense. It's not the kid's party. He doesn't own it. It doesn't belong to him. The house doesn't belong to him. That's a kid who thinks he owns something that he doesn't. So you can't pick and choose who receives God's grace. And we'll see that next week as we open up uh, the rest of Jonah. See, salvation does not belong to Jonah. Salvation does not belong to you or me. Uh, We don't determine who will be saved. And this is a good thing. (laughs) I'm glad that we do not determine that. See, recognising God's control of salvation leaves no room for favouritism from us. See, we may stop... um, You know how you can just choose almost uh, subconsciously who you'd like to be saved or a certain type of person that will respond to God's grace. May we stop choosing who's right to invite. And notice also in verse 9, there's this hopeful decree from the king. He says, who knows, God may relent. See, although the whole city is moved to repentance, that repentance, it will not save the city unless God is moved. And what a relief verse 10 is as he relents. See, the author of Jonah, they carefully guard against the charge of making God this this robotic um, responder to, to man, this automatic reactor to human activity, as if man could just decide who might be saved. See, it is God's sovereign choice. God had always known that the Ninevites, that they would repent, that they would um, get down into the dust and, and be humbled. But God in eternity planned for them to repent. And this, this story might all seem very removed from us today. But at times, I think this warped idea can creep into our own thinking as well. I've seen it by the subtle way that I make my own judgment about whether or not God will save someone or should save a certain type of person. I'll find myself putting someone in the too hard basket and just go, no, I've tried, it's just too much. I'll convince myself that it's no use praying for someone. We've been there, we've done that. It's a real load of rubbish. (laughs) How self-righteous, thinking like this shows that, well, we don't trust that God is in control, that he can save any kind of person, even those with hardened hearts. Let's stop thinking that we can choose who will be saved and let's keep God on his throne. Now, I want you to place yourself in the shoes of Jonah for a second. You may know how this book ends, but imagine you have been given this task to walk to this city, to preach those few words, and that was the response. How would you respond to that? I think there's a few ways you might react. You could uh, go all kinds of uh, there we go. Uh, you could, we'll get there. Uh, you could just think, oh wow, look at my ministry. Look at what I've done. Look at those words I came up with. It must have been a compelling five words that I said. Aren't I great? I was pretty convincing. I was pretty powerful. Or maybe you could react really pessimistically. You could think, oh, they're not going to persevere, they won't last. They've heard what? Five words? As if they're going to last. Well, you're not ultimately in control of this fact. God is in control. But we're part of his grander plan. See, if you trust in God, 
He's brought you to himself at some point in your life. And even for you today, if you're with us and you're checking this out, you're checking out Jesus for the first time, it is great to have you here. And even that's part of God's plan, that you are here, that you are hearing God's word even today. I hope you're encouraged to know someone far greater is in control. And for me, as someone who's just starting in this church, it is so good to remember that. As someone full of energy, just out of college, aware of how little I know and aware of how rusty I am when it comes to ministry, it can be daunting to think, well, how am I going to go? Will I have all the answers? Will I be theologically rich enough? Will I be engaging enough? Will people fall asleep? (laughs) And maybe Matt and Chloe Hearn, maybe they're some of the thoughts that you're going around in your head or Annika as you start. You're thinking, will I know the right answers? Do I know enough Bible? I don't know how I'm going to go and meeting up with people. It's just all a bit too hard. Or maybe for you who are serving in our church, maybe you're finding that really overwhelming, that thought of serving and to teach others and to get the words right. It's easy to think that you'll just stuff it up. Maybe you're convinced that you'll stuff it up and be overwhelmed by the responsibility of leading in these various ways. But friends, we are going to stuff it up. Uh, There will be times where you say something that isn't right, uh, where you drop the ball in ministry, uh, where we struggle to serve. But we have to remember that it's not about our competency, not about our words exactly, but it's about God's sovereign and good choice. Isn't that good? See, has God chosen in all of eternity to save this person or to have this person persevere to the end? If he has, he'll do it. Nothing will stop that. Isn't that a great thing to remember? Um, there's a helpful song that might be ru- running around in your mind to remember this sermon. Uh, if you grew up in church, you might be familiar with it. Uh, Colin Buchanan. Um, let's just uh, think about these words. I am not the boss. Uh-uh. Jonah is not the boss. Uh-uh. Because Jesus is the boss. And how good is that? I'm going to finish up now in prayer as we finish. Please pray with me. Dear Lord God Almighty, we thank you that we're not the boss. Thank you that you are sovereign. Thank you that you are good in how you judge. You are good in your mercy. We pray that you would be merciful to this area of Sydney. We pray that you would bring many to yourself. We'd ask that this year we would serve you humbly, that we would come back to you regularly, and that we would hold on to Jesus through it all. We thank you so much for the gospel, that we know you, and that you are faithful and that we can trust that we are saved when we look at Christ on the cross. Help us to cling on to that today. In his name we pray. Amen.